0: You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city.
1: For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. Hi. Um, For those that don't know me, I'm Leah. I actually lead Alpha, so that announcement, if anyone's interested, come find me. Um, our teaching text today is Ephesians 4:25 to 32. Therefore, each of you must put all falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry, and do not let the devil have a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of the mouths, but only what is helpful for building up according for their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Dang, amen to that. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of the redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, w and slander, along with every form of malice, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Jesus Christ. Or yeah, Christ God forgave you. This is the Word of the Lord. Be
0: to God. Good morning, church. Good morning. Uh, there is a place I have to start off with today, which is an acknowledgement that seven years ago I stood in a place kind of like this, next to that lady over there, and uh, (laughs) said to death to his part. (laughs) To be honest, she's probably divorced me a hundred times in her head, (laughs) but she's married me 101, so we just got to say one ahead, you know, (laughs) one ahead and we're good. Um, It's been a Wild week now that we have this kid around, our lives are totally different from those carefree people who got to like sleep in and you know go to brunch and stuff like that. Uh, And so earlier this week, I was it hit me uh, on Tuesday, and I was like, I didn't buy a gift, I don't know what to do. (laughs) Um, But I was too busy to go buy one, and so by the time I remembered again, it was Thursday, so it was definitely too late. Uh, but then I had a thought, and, we're in, and it's like Thursday like at night in bed. And, uh, and then I had a thought that came to me, and I was like, oh, wait, do, do we buy gifts? I don't know if I've ever bought an anniversary gift. And so I like roll over like, hey, love, and you got to think of a way. How, what's a smooth way to ask this question? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. So I just went for it. I was like, remind me. Uh, I was like, so... <laughs> kidding old guys. Uh, do we, did you buy me an anniversary gift? Do we do gifts? She's like, no. And I was like, he is faithful. Uh, and I remember, yeah, of course, we don't buy gifts because we decided when we first got married, you're like, you know what? What we really value is like, experiences. So instead of like you buy me a gift and I buy you a gift, what if we just like took that money and did something like together. We just treated ourselves to a shared experience that often surrounds food because we love to eat um, delicious things. So we are going to dinner tonight. I'm very excited about it. Um, But that's what you would call like a a family rule, if you will. Uh, And a family rule, you have a family rule. Like your family had Rules, Uh, And when I say rule, I don't quite mean it in the sense of like, you know, hey, this is what you have to do or you violate the law. I mean a rule in a sense of that this is a way that you lived and your family operated due to a value that you hold, right? So it was the implicit and explicit ways to be in your family. Say it another way, family rules are the things that we do to be the people that we are, Right? I'm curious. Anybody, real quick, got a family rule from their household, or no shoes on the bed? And, and what, what value did that uphold in your family? Cleanliness. Amen. We have a similar rule: no no street clothes in the bed. We're still trying to enforce it though. So anybody else? anybody else got a family rule? No swearing. No swearing? And what was that? What was that value upholding? Like, we each other water, like, so we with yeah. Be kind. Yeah, we want to be kind people. Alright. Give me like one more. Somebody. I love this. Family rules. We dinner to get oh, I'm gonna do both of those. Alright, uh, first Rachel and then Misa. Wait, was that you, Rachel? Oh, sorry. Who was that over there? Someone was over there. All right, Misa, you go then. Go ahead. We eat you eat dinner together. And why do you eat dinner? What value that uphold? Make sure
1: that
0: we always have time come together Yeah, that's great. I love it. We also had uh, yes, sir, and no, sir. Mm-hmm. I feel a little weird because James doesn't have that, and I don't know if I'm failing. Uh, <laughs> But there was this value that we should respect our elders. So you get the concept, family rules. Now, today we're wrapping up our series *Conspiratio*, and we are been. Focusing on unity the last five weeks, but that's within a larger framework of this giving ourselves this year, as the Lord has shown us, to prayer and reconciliation. So under that banner of reconciliation, we've been asking the question, what does it mean for us to be a unified people? And so we've gone to Ephesians 4 because it really is this long discourse on unity. I'm not going to recap the last five weeks, but I would encourage you to go back and listen to those teachings to understand how we got here today. But for the interest of time, I'm going to keep moving. But I do want to say this, where we're going today is that Paul now is bringing all these discourses on unity together by giving us some family rules. I've told you that unity is important right, and I've walked you through all the the ins and outs of why and how, but now today, what does it mean then for us to live this out? Let's pull some skin on this thing, and so Paul starts to give us these lists of family rules, and so what I want to do for us today is simple. I just want us to go through these rules. There's six of them, and as we go through them, I want to encourage you to, to turn your attention and to turn your thoughts and ask yourself, what... What would come if we started to live this way? What would this community look like and what would be the implications if these were to be the rules that we adopt? With that said, let me pray for us and then we're gonna dive in. Holy Spirit, I am under no pretense uh, that these people need to hear anything from me but I am under full conviction that unless you speak to us today through me, we will waste our time. So Holy Spirit, would you come now? Would you open our hearts? Would you use the meditations of my heart and the words of my lips to bring us into full unity with each other and with you, the Son and the Father, we pray, amen. Amen. All right, so let's dive in. We're gonna start right here in verse 25 where Paul kicks off this first rule where he says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor for we are all members of one body. The rule is simply this, talk it out. Talk it out. Paul is speaking to this early church and I think this is very poignant that he he is starting in this rule because so much of the of the of the the, the problems that we see even today in our own relationships something always boil down to communication. As a child, I used to get so angry watching sitcoms because all of the problems in each episode was hinged on someone not just being like, "I didn't really mean that," or "This is." Like, I'm just like, if you would just talk like this, we would have this would be five minutes. But we got to sell ads, you know. Uh, So Paul is saying don't settle for a false peace. He tells them to speak the truth to one another. And the speaking the truth means a lot of different things, right? The speaking the truth means, tell me if I've got spinach in my teeth, right? Would you speak the truth one another? And at times confronting one another. Maybe speaking the truth looks like you've stepped on my toe. You have hurt me. So I'm not going to hold it in and give you that side eye, but I'm going to let you know that there's been an offense and an opportunity for restoration. Maybe speaking the truth means I'm sorry. I dropped the ball. How do we speak the truth? Now, this can be hard because some of us love this rule too much. You're like, I actually got a couple of truths I've been meaning to get off of my chest. And if that's you, I, I don't want to burst your bubble, but I do want to make it clear that Paul is not calling us to start being truth tellers, you know what I mean? He's not telling us to, to take this as an as a, as a opportunity to give our opinion and to cut down those around us, to start sticking out our chests and reminding everyone how they have fallen short. No, because see, when Paul is talking, remember, he is talking to a predominantly former Jewish congregation. And so for them, the, the, the words of the, of the Torah and the prophets are radiating in their minds. And so he is using the words of Zechariah who says in chapter eight, verse 16, these are the things that you should do. This is the Lord speaking. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Render in your gates judgments that are true But there's that functional part of the beginning, make for peace. So am I telling the truth to be right? Am I telling the truth to denigrate? Or am I telling the truth that peace may reign? There's one thing I want to point out. In Zechariah, it says, speak the truth to one another. And in our verse in Ephesians, if you're reading the NIV, it also says, speak the truth to one another. But that's really a, a a translator's decision to, to, I think, more accurately reflect that callback. But if we were to actually look at what the, what the actual is saying in the Greek there, Paul actually says, speak the truth with one another. With one another. He makes a slight change to the Zechariah passage with one another, which is, which is a small nuance, but it's, but it's highly, highly uh, effective. And it actually, what it's calling us to then is I'm not talking at you, I'm talking with you. I'm not telling the truth to you, I am uncovering the truth alongside you. It pulls us into communion, because again, this is about unity. And so our truth is to elevate the bonds of peace. peace, by us conversing with one another. I wish I could say more, but I would point you to uh, John four to see what happens when Jesus just tells someone the truth and peace. It changes a whole community. But let's keep moving to the second rule, this family rule that Paul calls the family of God to. Verse 26, Paul says, in your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, again, Paul is making a callback that all of his intended audience would have immediately got. He's referring to Psalm 4 and 4, which says, Tremble and do not sin. When you are on your bed, search your hearts and be silent. Now the context of that psalm is is this conversation between God and the psalmist. And, and there's this, the psalmist is in distress, right? And he's asking the Lord to not be silent. Don't be silent to be God when I call out to you. And God is responding back to him, you know. Hey, I want you to, I want you to trust me. Don't let the sun go down in your anger or while you're you're troubled. Don't 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 be uh too disturbed, but to come back and to rest in me. Uh, psalm 4 ends with this. It says, uh, it says, all right, lost there we go. It says, in peace, I will lie down and sleep for you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. So Paul's talking about anger and he's saying, it's okay to get angry. Thank goodness. Some of y'all... It's okay to get angry, but one of the rules, one of the the idioms from our house is this. Your feelings, it's okay to feel your feelings, but your feelings belong to you. You don't belong to your feelings. So while we get angry, our anger cannot be a license for vengeance, vigilantism, or vindictiveness. Uh, John 2, there's this, this interesting story. I haven't gotten to it yet in The Chosen, but I'm ready for it, uh, where Jesus comes into the temple and they've turned it into a lot of money changing and, and all sorts of things, and, and the scriptures say that Jesus went out, and I love this because there was some intention here, right? So he went out and he made a whip. It just reminds me of my mother who was like, let me go get a switch. Uh, and so she comes back in and Jesus starts whipping these money changers. He starts throwing over tables and he starts throwing a right fit. And some of us are like, yeah, I like this, Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus says in this, he says, in this, he's quoting Psalm 69, he says, zeal for your house will consume me. Zeal for your house will consume me. Jesus is angry, angry to the point a violent confrontation, but the reason that he is angry is because the temple of God has been violated, which then was brick and mortar, but is now flesh and bone. So if we're gonna get angry, especially if we gotta start moving tables, may it be because we are trying to stand up for our brothers and sisters. May it be because we have seen that the temple of God is being defiled. And in that case, call me, I got you, let's go. walk it out if we're going to try to be a unified church as I think it's happening among us we're starting to look around and as you look around this room it's becoming more and more apparent that we can't possibly all see and love the same Jesus because we're just so different well that was a myth anyway you don't know the Jesus that I know you know, parts of him. And there are Jesus, there's a Jesus that you've seen and walked with that I have no clue about, which is why I need you. But it may confront me because I didn't think he could do that and I didn't think he would go there and I didn't think he could, he could forbear. So that can make me a little nervous. And then you can do things Because our cultures are different, that could make me angry. And what am I gonna do then? It's okay to be offended, it's okay to be angry, but are we gonna walk it out seeking the peace? May our anger be for the zeal of the Lord's house, which again, is sitting next to us. Paul keeps going, this list of family rules Verse 28, he says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. Do something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Now, Paul's talking to the early church. And if you remember in Acts 2, we get a picture of what the history of these people, they've been walking through. See, Jesus uh, has come. He gives them the Holy Spirit. He ascends into heaven. Uh, Through through the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is, is thrown on sons and daughters, and people start prophesying. But more than that, they start sharing everything. I mean, in ways that would make us feel really uncomfortable. We're talking about radical redistribution of wealth. Acts 2, 4, 44 through 45, it says there was no, no needy among them. They started selling all their stuff to make sure everybody was good. They were participating. But it's not just financial, because there, there is a strong sense of the financial participation of the early church. They literally took their money and made sure that the common needs were met. That is absolutely, let's not not bypass that as much as we may like to. But it's not just financial. What they were concerned about were each other's needs, but some of the needs were more than just monetary. We see this in Acts 6. Acts 6, what happens in this early church, they've got this set up, they've got this food line, and they're taking care of the widows because God has called them to do that. But these Greek widows, right, they're not getting served. Right? So everybody's walking around, they're going to the Jewish widows, and they're like, hey, what can I get you today, sweetheart? You need some, let me go get you a plate, you know? And then they're walking by these Greek tables and they're sitting going, Can I get some service here? And so rumbles start to happen. And so what do the what do the apostles do? What do the 12 do? Well, they come and they say, Listen, this is a problem. But our gifts are best used over here in the teaching and the understanding of the Word of God for the people. So I need you to go get some people that are qualified, that are full of wisdom and the Spirit, and let them go serve those tables. The reason I point this out is because we're talking about needs. It's not just about your money, but it's about you taking stock of what is in your hands. Again, I'll take you back to the verse, what Paul says. Don't steal work, but do something useful with their own hands. How has God uniquely empowered your hands to meet the needs of this community? It may not be in dollars and cents. It may be in presence. There's so many lonely people coming in here. What does it look like to sit beside them? Because I got the capacity. I've made room in my schedule that I can go get a meal with someone who needs it. Maybe it's devoting yourself. You, you are rich in prayer and faith and you're really good at listening. So maybe it's being on call to be a listening ear for someone. Maybe you got a lot of free time and you're like, hey, somebody needs their kid watch. I got you. You hear what I'm saying? What is in your hands? Paul's saying, He who still, let him still no longer. If I'm a part of this unified church, then I can't just come and get my little Sunday three songs and a a teaching and walk out the door and I'll see y'all next week. But it also means that I see what's in my hands and maybe what's in my hands right now is the ability to kind of just like, (laughs) I need to like rest, I need to be here. I need to receive, but I'm coming. I'm going to be able to give at some point, right? So what I don't want you to hear is like, you've been here, get to get to doing something, right? You got to see what's in your hands, and then you just do that, but do it with the seriousness, seeing it as as dutifully a part of the of the kingdom of God. I just love, I gotta keep moving, but I just wanna hit this point. Acts 6, I just love it. It says that they go get these men, they're gonna start serving the tables and the apostles gather them and they bless them and anoint them. And you think like, mate, you can be tempted to say, y'all just serving table. Y'all just out there like putting down plates. And yet the early church treat this as if it was one of the most important things that anyone could do in the body because it was. So maybe it's Brian back there clicking slides so you can see. And it blesses us just as much as me sitting here. Let's keep moving. How we doing? You good? you good? All right, let's keep going. Family rules. All right, I like this next one. 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs that may benefit those who listen. Essentially, the rule is this, build up. Build each other up. That word unwholesome there, the Greek is sapros, which means worthless or useless. I love what Kayla said about our family. We don't, you know, no cussing, no mussing, no back Where <laughs> But we're using our words to edify. Unity is game when we use to build each other up. I want you to catch something here in this in this phrase here in 29. He says, build others up according to their needs. This is this is a very functional implication here, according to their means. Uh, I love the way the, the Francis Folk Ephesians commentary says this. It, is, it says that a, a better translation of, of this Greek phrase there would be words suitable for the occasion. Build each other up with words suitable for the occasion. What this means is, well, Paul is not calling us to to walk around being speaking platitudes. This isn't about, you are highly favored and deeply loved. You know, it's true, but you're like, great, but I just lost my job, appreciate it. Well, Paul is saying, that we're gonna use these words to uplift a person where they are so our words meet what the person's needs are which means I have to attune and actually listen to what you're saying. And then I'm listening with the ears of the Lord, and I'm relaying the words of edification that he has for you. This is something deeper than platitudes. It's using my words to bathe. To soothe, to calm, to come beside, to blow wind under the embers. Proverbs verse fifteen, twenty-three. It says, "A word in season, how good it is! How good it is!" We all know this, right? You put on that new shirt that you were a little nervous about, and then you walk out, someone's like, "And hey, that looks good on you. And you like, thank you. <laughs> I needed that today. A word in season, how good it is, family. The family of God builds each other up. We're almost there. Here we're going to take a little bit of a turn, right? Because up until now, We've got all these rules. And the thing about rules, again, this isn't about some letter of the law, but it is about the spirit of the law being used in and through us, for us. But if we come in it as a list of regulations, which is what was the past of these former Jews, right? They had 636 laws. They knew a thing about laws. No, Paul is not trying to give them to some some, some. Reliance on self, that this unity is built on them. No, this next rule is he's gonna to start to remind them that the source of these rules, the purpose of these rules is alignment with the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says in verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. There's a family rule I would say was to look up Look up. Jesus is leaving, and he says, uh, they're like, Jesus, don't leave us. He's like, no, unless I go, I I can't send the helper, the advocate, who's going to be the one to make clear the revelation of all the things I've told you. Paul is writing to a people who just earlier, the day of Pentecost, saw the Holy Spirit fall and kick off all this radical change. So Paul is reminding the people that the Holy Spirit is the power, is the engine, is the dunamis that moves the ship along. And so if you catch nothing else, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't try to do this in and of yourself. This hits me as a parent. Because I, I understand this kind of sense of like when your child tries to do something, like my son's trying to like you know he he one of our family rules when you're done eating you clean up so you take your plate take it to the sink you put it there uh, and he's getting it he's actually really good at it but sometimes you know things get a little wonky he's like trying to hold the plate and he's got the he's got the the cup and he's trying to do it all himself and I'm just like buddy let me let me help you here no 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 and then and then I've got milk and every other thing on the floor and I'm just like he's grieving me <laughs> I'm grievous <laughs> I know you're trying to do right but <laughs> you're killing me son I imagine this is what Paul's calling us to don't, don't go out trying to do all this in your own power but rely on the Holy Spirit of God small note uh, oftentimes in the scriptures, uh, the Holy Spirit, it is, it, the holy there is used as a title, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. But here actually in the Greek, it's not used as a title. The holy there is an adjective. And so it's saying the spirit, which is holy. And so Paul's not only calling attention to the spirit, but the character of the spirit, which means it is set apart. And so as you look to the spirit, would you realize that what the spirit is, is he's he's, he's set apart, he's sacred, distinct. And so your approach to this way of living, this unified way of living, is trying to be set apart from the ways of this world and the ways that make sense. This type of unity that we're talking about here is—it's—it's it's, it's countercultural. It's the kind of thing that would make someone walk in here and go, "Where are all these people in here together? What's something must be for free." <laughs> that we would be set apart, holy as the Lord is holy. Consecrated to belong to God and not to the things of this world. This is the last rule, and then we're gonna wrap it up. Ephesians four thirty one says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ Christ God forgave you. And I'm going to keep going because, remember, Paul didn't write verses and chapters. These are things that we add for memorization and reference. Paul's just writing a letter. And so, actually, I think he's, he's completing this thought and this discourse in the seceding clauses. So, if you go to Ephesians 5:1 and 2, Paul says, follow God's example, therefore as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, the last family rule, pour out, pour yourself out in love. Don't drink too much, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you get nothing else, Paul ends this discourse on how we should live. What does it mean to be unified? If you can't remember to not be angry, if you can't remember to talk it out, if you can't remember to participate, then just adopt this. Walk in the way of love. Because all these things fall under love. And if you don't know what that means, then look to Jesus. It's like an open book test. But what does it look like in Jesus? Romans 5, verses 8 and 11 says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So what does that look like for us? I would say this. But we demonstrate God's love for us in this. While they ain't acting right, we move towards them. We seek their good. It's not dependent upon you. I can't be unified Our unity can't just exist on wanting to be unified or it being easy to be unified. I've been married seven years today. Let me tell you, this ain't because we've woken up however many days it's been and was like, you're mine. This is so easy. There are times we've had to get it out of the mud. where I'm like, you just don't get it, and yet I'm not going anywhere. You have deeply wounded and hurt me. I'm not going anywhere. I told my wife, you can leave me if you want, that's fine. Just know I'm coming with you. (laughs) You're stuck. And it goes on, Romans five, verse 11. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So Christ comes to a sinful people who despise him, and having done no wrong, he lays down a perfect life. He allows himself to be killed. And then he exhibits his power over death by rising three days later. And in that, he calls all people to God and gives them access into this Holy Spirit, which allows them to live in a way that doesn't make sense. There is this, there is this reconciliation because, again, the scriptures, when it talks about reconciliation, as we talked about in our Lion and Lamb series, the, the scriptures don't talk about reconciliation, me to you, and you to me. No, it talks about all things to God. And this is so important because sometimes, sometimes the person that hurt you, they're not going to help you get right, you know? They're never going to apologize. Or maybe what you've done, they're never going to stop holding it over your head. So God is reconciling all things to himself so we can find freedom irrespective of how the other operates. As, long, as much as it depends on you, the scriptures say, be at peace with all men. So then we receive, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is a gift, all this is from God who reconciled us through himself, through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So he showed us the way, if you, if you forget it all, know this, that we serve a God that while we hated him, he died for us. And if he could die, then what can I do for my brother and my sister? That is the position of our hearts, that we would be a people that die for one another. I'll die in my finances for you. I'll die in my time for you. I'll die in my presence, my proximity. I'll give it all up. The beautiful thing is, so I'm doing it for Lindsay, and Lindsay's doing it for Katie, and Katie's doing it for Mackenzie. Everybody gets taken care of. So the band's gonna come and we're gonna, we're gonna start moving towards the invitation. But as we wrap up this series, Conspiratio, People of the Spirit, if we're gonna have the type of unity that Jesus is inviting us to, it will require us to put aside a life ruled by our desires and self-interest. And instead require us to give ourselves to one another. So the invitation is simply this. Are you willing? Are you willing? That is the question. Time and again, Jesus says, weigh the costs. This is where we're going as a community. I think the spirit is moving us further and further into it. So if this sounds all too much for you, I get it. No harm, no foul. But if you're going to call this, these people home, if you're going to be a part of this family, then it's going to require a commitment to walk in the way of love.